walking our way through the Gospel of Mark for some time. We're up to Mark chapter 9, verse 30. We're going to read Mark 9, 30 to 41 here in just a moment. There's, there's a lot of information in life, though, that when communicated to us, if we miss it, it's really not all that important. I, could, I mean, we hear trivial kind of facts all the time. I could tell you that in the 1830s, ketchup was sold as a medicine. But if you forget that, it really doesn't matter, right? Like, it, it, it's information that might be interesting, but overall, for life, it doesn't really matter all that much. So if you miss it, not a big deal, right? There's other information that we receive that is maybe debatably important. For some people, the fact that this weekend the, the Iowa Hawkeyes lost their basketball game and the Iowa State Cyclones won their basketball game, that might be important information for some of you, but there's a lot of us who actually don't care, and I'm sorry if we offend you, but we don't uh, all that much. Uh, and so, but then there are some pieces of information that are of vital importance, and that if we miss them, if we don't hear them, if we don't understand them, there are dangerous consequences. And we're going to hear one of those types of things today. I mean, you can think of maybe a soldier who's been given a mission or a doctor who's about to perform a surgery. You certainly hope that that doctor has not only received all the necessary information, but is also going to really understand all the necessary information and act accordingly. We want things that are very important to be received, understood, and acted on. But a lot of times, for whatever reason, maybe we're just focused on something else, or, or we don't think it's all that important, or maybe we just don't understand it, we miss very important information. This happens with kids a lot. Kids are by nature immature because they're in the process of maturing, right? And so, so kids have a hard time, maybe as a parent, or maybe you're a volunteer in Awana, or a Sunday school teacher or something. If you've spent time around kids, you realize that sometimes when you're sharing really important information with them, it just goes right over their head, and they totally miss it. I noticed this when we do our family worship time in our house, that uh, I'll be sharing something out of what we'll be reading God's Word and sharing something that I think is just incredibly important and profound. And that I want my kids, because I love them, I want them to get this. If they don't get anything else, I want them to get this. And I'm sharing it passionately. And I mean, I, I majored in elementary ed for two years, so I know how to talk to kids, right? And I think I'm doing it very clearly. And then as they respond to that great important truth that, that I just shared with them, their response is something like, Dad, I got sock fuzzies between my toes. Like, all right, all right. Yes, you do. Um, you you want, want to get that out? Um, but that's the way kids are, right? That, that as we share vital and important information, maybe because they don't understand it, maybe because they're not paying attention, maybe because their mind's somewhere else, they often miss. And the, the importance of that, that, that great information is overshadowed by their immaturity. We're going to look at a spot here in Mark 9 today where Jesus is going to share with his admittedly immature disciples some very, very important information. Something that they need to know and understand. We're also going to see that because of their own pride and because of their immaturity, that message from Jesus gets very quickly overshadowed. 
And this is going to force us, hopefully, to ask ourselves, are there ways in which our own pride and our own immaturity as disciples can, in effect, overshadow the important message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We'll be in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30. And if you're able to, let's stand as we read God's Word. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. We'll be going through verse 41 today. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 says this, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying. They were afraid to ask him, and they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. You can be seated. You may want to grab your bulletin. And uh, in your bulletin you'll have this little sheet that says Sermon Notes and Life Group Discussion Guide first part of it is for you to take notes on your own on the sermon today. And then most of you are in a life group. A few of you aren't. If you're not, I encourage you to go through these questions of application anyway um, that are included in your bulletin. You'll notice that we're going to spend two of the main points are going to be right here in Mark chapter 9. But then at the end of the message, we're actually going to jump into Romans a little bit for the third major point as well. We're going to go ahead and look at this first point in Mark chapter 9. The first point that you see right here at the beginning of the passage is that Jesus has something very important to share with his disciples. And the important message that Jesus is sharing centers on his death and his resurrection. This is what the disciples need to hear and know and understand and believe. Look at verse 30. Mark chapter 9 verse 30 says, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Now, Galilee was a spot where Jesus had done much of his ministry. But this time, they're not going to land there. They're just passing through. And it says, And he did not want anyone to know. Okay, This time, Jesus wasn't there to do public ministry. He was on his way through. Jesus' eyes were now set, really since chapter 8. His eyes are set on what is to come. His eyes are set on Jerusalem, where he will be put to death. And he will rise again. And so that's where he's headed. They're passing through. He doesn't want anybody to know. This can't be really too many days from the last time. By the way, this is the second time that Jesus is going to share this important message with his disciples. He just did it in chapter 8. 
And now he's doing it again here in chapter 9. And here is the message. Look at verse 31. He was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. This is at the core of what Jesus came to do, right? I mean, if, if all that Jesus came to do was to be a good teacher and to work some miracles, then you know what we ought to do? We ought to go put our jacket back on, start up the car, leave this building, and never come back. Because that's how important the death and resurrection of Jesus are. If all He is is a good teacher and a miracle worker, He is not worthy of our worship. But because He came to be our Savior, the one who came to die and to rise again, that's why we worship Him. That's how important this is. This is the core of who Jesus is and what He came to do. This is, again, the second time that he shared it with the disciples now. Do you think that maybe now that it's the second time, I mean, the first time maybe it was news to them, and you remember that Peter didn't respond very well? He said, no, you can't do this, Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him and called him Satan. Maybe you think maybe this time the disciples are going to get it, right? The second time around, they're going to get this important message from Jesus. But look at verse 32. Verse 32 says this, But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Tragic, isn't it? Jesus is sharing this vitally important news, what they needed above everything else to know and to understand. It was all about Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what he came for. But the disciples, it says, didn't understand, and they were too afraid to ask him. This is where we start to see some of the pride of the disciples in this passage. They didn't understand, maybe a little immature, like children, and, and, and they were too afraid to ask him. What a tragedy. And we're going to stop a bunch of moments as we go through this passage and say, you know what? We're a lot like the disciples, aren't we? Let's do that here right now, okay? We're a lot like the disciples, aren't we? I mean, how many times when, when there, maybe there's, there's something as, as we're praying, something we know that we ought to understand, something that we know is important, but we're not willing often enough. We're often too much like the disciples when we're not willing to admit to Jesus, Jesus, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're saying here, Jesus. We like to be the kind of prideful disciples like these guys who pretend like we got it all figured out. They didn't understand. If you don't understand, what's the best thing to do? Ask a question, right? But the disciples aren't doing that. They're too prideful. They're not going to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I totally don't get what you're talking about. And I think we also see, and I get this, I think, from what we're going to look at in just a moment, that they're also too prideful to look dumb in front of each other. We don't like that either, do we? We don't like to look dumb in front of other people, especially maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time. You don't like to be asking some questions where it's like, I know I should know this. And so we kind of feel dumb asking the question. Our pride gets in the way of us asking questions. Listen, I hope that we are the kind of church. We've got a lot of younger Christians in the church. And I hope, whether you're a young Christian or an older Christian, I hope that we're the kind of church where you feel comfortable if you don't understand something just ask somebody 
Don't let your pride get in the way of you understanding some vitally important truths. If in your life group you feel like everybody's just like getting it and you're like the one who doesn't get something, ask them. If you're in youth group students, if you're in Sunday school kids, and you don't understand what your teacher's talking about or your life group leader, just ask. Humble yourself before each other. Don't be too arrogant to like, I don't want to seem dumb, so I'm not going to. Ask questions. Otherwise, we might miss something vitally important as the disciples are going to do here. It's the problem here is that because they're not willing to ask, because of their pride, because they're afraid, they're not going to ask Jesus to clarify and explain what he's talking about. It's going to get really tragic here in just a moment because we're going to see them very quickly move to a totally different conversation. And that totally different conversation, it's not focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus. They're not focused on the gospel. These disciples, we're going to see not only their pride, but their immaturity here in a moment. Because the next main point there in your bulletin outline is this. Here's what's unimportant. Which of us is best? That's the discussion they're going to have. After this great truth shared by Jesus about what he came for, the response of the disciples is to have a discussion about which one of us is the best. Let's look at the next point. Verses 33 and 34 say this, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? I mean, wouldn't you think, that, that maybe on the way, as they, Jesus shared this thing and they didn't quite get it, maybe at least they'd talk amongst themselves. What was he saying when he talks about being delivered into the hands of men and then dying and rising again? What was that all about? No, that wasn't their discussion. That was not their discussion. And Jesus, like a good parent, is asking his kids, hey, what were you guys talking about on the way, on the trip? Remember after I told you about dying? What were you guys talking about? Look at verse 34. But they kept silent. For on the way, they'd argued with one another about who was the greatest. They're ashamed, aren't they? They're embarrassed. Maybe when they were having this discussion amongst themselves, it didn't seem all that bad. But then when Jesus comes and he asks them what they were talking about, they recognize how foolish and immature and childish they really are. And so they're ashamed, so they don't even say anything. Do you see that in verse 34? Just like, <laughs> busted. They got caught, and they're embarrassed. They're ashamed of their childish, immature conversation with each other. I get the picture of a, a parent coming upstairs, right? Mom comes up the stairs. There's marker all over the wall. And there's a little boy sitting there with marker all over his face and a marker in, her ha- in his hand. And mom says, hey, who... What happened here? Well, mom obviously sees what happened there, and she obviously knows who did it, but the little kid with the marker in his hands is just silent, right? Like like he might get away with it or something, right? And that's what I see the disciples being like here. Jesus says, what were you guys talking about on the way? Jesus heard them. He knows what they were talking about, and they're just silent. Nothing. They got nothing. That's their answer. Because what they were talking about was really, as they think about it, kind of embarrassing. And Jesus, well, I, you know, maybe, uh, maybe application for us. Again, 
Are we like the disciples a little bit sometimes? Are there things, listen, this, this, this could be convicting, warning, this could be convicting, this is convicting for me. Are there ways in which you, when you're having conversations with other people, are there ways in which you talk about other people that if Jesus came and asked you, hey, what were you guys just talking about? Remember like in your car after your life group, in your car on the way to church, when you're with your spouse, when you thought the kids were out of earshot, you know, and you were talking about other people? What, what was your conversation about? Don't you think sometimes that would be our reaction too? Recognizing that that was a foolish conversation. I said something I shouldn't have said. I was talking about other people in ways that I shouldn't have been talking about other people. And we see our own pride and our own, own immaturity very clearly, I think. We can be embarrassed as well. And Jesus then gives them a statement. Now, just a warning, verses 35 and 37, there's a lot of meat here. But this is basically going to be almost repeated again and expanded upon in chapter 10. So I'm going to do most of my commenting on these passages when we get there in chapter 10. But I do want to look at them really quickly right now. Jesus then is going to tell them, here's what greatness really looks like. Jesus knew what they were talking about. And so in verse 35, Jesus says this, And he sat down and he called the twelve. Okay? And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and a servant of all. He said, I know what you guys were talking about. You were talking about which one of you is the greatest. You know what it looks like to be great? It looks like you serve other people. It looks like you find ways not to try and be the greatest, but you find ways to serve other people. And just in case they don't get it just by a statement, he has an illustration for them. That's what we see in verses 36 and 37. Look at this. It says, He took a child, and he put the child in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now we live, it's hard for us to understand this, because we live in a really child-centered kind of world. That's not the way the world was at this time. Children were considered little people who had not yet arrived. They weren't even really all that important. They were kind of the least of these in their days, right? And so when Jesus takes this child before his disciples, sometimes Jesus takes a child and says, have faith like a child. But this time he's taking a child and saying, be like me. Receive one of these, of the least of these, one of these little children. Serve people like this. That's what greatness looks like. To, to look at the people that everybody else kind of writes off and says, they're not that important. And, and to come and to serve people like that, that's what it looks like to be great. That's greatness. Again, more on that, uh, a lot more on that when we get to this similar passage in chapter 10 in about a month. But here you've got this disciple, these disciples having this shameful, embarrassing conversation about who's the best, who's the greatest. That's their conversation. And you'd think after Jesus shares this now, in verses 35 to 37, Jesus has shared something with them. Now are they going to get it? Are they going to say, oh, okay, Jesus, I get it. And now I'm humble to the point where I say, Jesus, that thing you were talking about at the beginning, with, with you dying and rising again, can you go back to that? Because I didn't get that. I'm sorry, Jesus. Unfortunately, that's not where they're at. They're going to shift their conversation from I'm the best to we're the best. <laughs> they're going to see, change their conversation from seeking individual greatness to seeking club-like superiority. We're better than everybody else, right, Jesus? I mean, okay, maybe I'm not the best, Jesus, but at least like my team, 
My little posse, we're the best, right, Jesus? Let's look at verse 38. Verse 38, John said to him, now this is John, John who had just been just a few days before on the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus' glory was unveiled for a period of time. He got to see Jesus in all of his glory. John, the beloved disciple, comes up to Jesus and says to him this. Look at verse 38. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Disciples haven't grown up yet. See some more immaturity here. The disciples' attitude, really, in verse 38, is they want to protect things by excluding people. They want to say things like, "Uh, Jesus, we saw this guy doing this thing, but he's not like one of the twelve. He's not in our club. He's not in our tribe. He's not on our team. So there's no way that he should be doing that, right? Jesus, I mean, aren't we your favorites? Like, we're the twelve. Anybody outside doing stuff in your name and it's working? You can't, you can't be accepting, you can't be wanting them to succeed and not us. You know, remember what happened last week in the passage? What were the disciples trying to do that they were unsuccessful at doing? Remember? Casting out a demon, right? A dad brought a little boy to the disciples. They tried to cast out the demon and it didn't work. And now, verse 38... John's finding out, and the disciples are finding out, that there's another guy in the name of Jesus casting out demons. And the twelve are like, hmm, no way. You better stop that. You're, You're not supposed to do that. There's a little bit of jealousy there. Again, you see the immaturity of the disciples. They want their team to be the team. They want to show their superiority to everybody else, don't they? I mean, if he's not one of us, if he's not just like us, I read this poem this week. Here's what it is. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel like I feel, think like I think, eat what I eat, drink what I drink, look like I look, do like I do, then and only then will I have fellowship with you. That's the attitude of the disciples. You have to be one of us. Did you hear their concern that they brought to Jesus? They said, we tried to stop him. Why? Not because he wasn't following Jesus. Not because they weren't, this guy wasn't honoring Jesus. That's not why. The reason they wanted to stop him is because he was not following us. This guy wasn't doing it just like they do it. So they didn't want him to succeed. Jesus' attitude in verses 39 to 40 is different. Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. Jesus said, As long as I'm exalted, they're doing these things in my name. Disciples, you're not at a point of maturity yet where you can look at somebody else and say, I don't think they're doing it right. You've got a lot of growing up yourself to do. Let me be the judge of that, disciples. You get focused on what you're supposed to be, and those that are not against us, they're for us at this point, disciples. This is his message. 
And in verse 41, Jesus says, For the one who is not, a, or sorry, for truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is just saying, Those who show grace and kindness toward their fellow Christians will be rewarded. Now, application for this. Listen, I want to kind of just do a little disclaimer here at the beginning. I recognize this. Listen, I recognize and you recognize that there are people, there are churches, whole churches, doing things in the name of Jesus that we probably ought not to get behind and support. I recognize that. There's false teaching, and the New Testament is clear about that. We don't, we don't embrace false teaching, right? We don't, there are, there are uh, churches... Um, that in the name of Jesus are preaching things that are not true. And we ought not to say, well, hey, they're doing it in the name of Jesus. It's all good. That's not the kind of attitude that Jesus is talking about here. But he is trying to correct another attitude that I think we all need to feel convicted of a little bit. I am. And that is this attitude that our little club, we're the best. That our little church here, this Iowa Falls Evangelical Free Church, our little, our little team, we're, we're where it's at. We're God's favorite. And we don't like to see, if we're honest sometimes, maybe because, you know, maybe because you used to be a part of a different church in town. And there were some struggles there and some things that happened, and now you're a part of this church. You don't really want to see God be at work in and through that church as much anymore, if you're honest. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you've been hurt because there have been people that have been a part of this church and they've left and they've gone to another church. And so we have in our minds kind of these stereotypes of other churches sometimes and we can be quite critical of other churches who don't do things exactly the way that we do things. Now I'm talking about churches. Are we the only church in town that, that would hold to this being the inspired, inerrant Word of God? That's the foundation for all that we seek to do as a church. Are we the only church in town that will preach that Jesus is the only way to be saved? No, we're not. By God's grace, praise God, we are not the only church in town. Now, do the other churches in town that preach the, the true message of the gospel and stand on God's word, do they do things differently than we do? Yes, of course they do. And are they reaching people for Christ and discipling people the way that they do things? Yes, they are. And so we need to check our own attitudes that sometimes we're a lot more like the disciples than we'd like to admit. We can have this kind of like critical, taking little jabs at other churches because of the way that they do things that are maybe a little bit different than us. And, and we kind of have in the back of our minds, well, I wonder when they're going to trip up and fall because they're obviously not doing it right quite like we are. We're a lot more like the disciples than we think. Very practically, we need to be praying for other, God's work amongst other churches in town. One of kind of my disciplines, I get together almost every week uh, with some other pastors in town from churches that have the same kind of convictions that we do about the Bible and about who Jesus is and about how people get saved. We get together and we pray together. We recognize that we're partners in ministry. We're not, we're not competing with some other churches in town. How ridiculous is that? We want to see other churches succeed in their mission, even if they're doing it a little bit differently than we are. Just one practical thing right now, um, we need to be praying for the River's Edge Church. Um, they're going to enter a time of transition. Their pastor, uh, Manny, who's been there for a couple years, today's his last day. And you know that times of transition for a church can be challenging, great opportunities, but also great challenges. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ at the River's Edge Church. That's what we need to be doing, right? 
We don't want to have this club-like mentality that the disciples had, that if they're not doing things exactly the way that we're doing things, then we want to push them outside and stop them. No. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ that God would be raising up more and more good churches where the gospel is preached and the Bible is the authority, right? So, might be some repentance that we need to do in that area. There's a lot of things that I think we need to admit that we can very easily and quickly overshadow the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ by our pride, thinking I'm the best or thinking we're the best in our immaturity. We need to watch for that. Because when we do that, it's not just us. It's not just like, it's not just that churches get split or that churches in town aren't cooperating. That's not the greatest tragedy. The greatest tragedy in all that is that somehow the good news of the message of Jesus Christ gets overshadowed. That's the greatest tragedy. There's lost people all over this area who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get so focused on our own little spats between us, our own little petty arguments and our own little camps, like, well, I'm not doing something with you because you're different than me kind of attitudes, split ourselves up into teams within the church, the biggest tragedy is that the gospel of Jesus Christ gets overshadowed. So I could end there, I could end the message there with like, hey, so grow up and become more humble, church. But if I ended the message there, I think I'd be doing the exact thing that the disciples are guilty of doing here, and that's overshadowing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to go there. We need to go back to the beginning, which it's so short here because it's interrupted by all the disciples' pride and immaturity. We need to hear the gospel again. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you need to hear the gospel, the good news this morning. And that is this. I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Listen, we have a problem, and God has a solution. We have a problem. And a lot of times we think, we think a lot of other people have problems. This is our natural, human, immature, prideful kind of thing. We look at other people and see all the problems that other people have. But what we need to hear and we need to see, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, is all the problems that we have. We have a sin problem. Look at Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 29. And I don't want you, this is easy. Anytime you see a list of sins in Scripture, it's easy to say like, oh, I know people like that, or at least I'm not doing that one. I, want, I don't want you to do that here, though. I want you to listen and hear and allow the Holy Spirit to come and show you which one of these you're guilty of. A lot of these are going to be sins of the tongue the way that we talk, kind of like the disciples, right? They were having these conversations they were kind of embarrassed of. Do we ever do that? Yes. It's called gossip. It's called all sorts of other things. I want you to look at this list. Romans 1.29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We need to see ourselves 
in that somewhere. Not just for others, it's for us. And then look at the first two verses of chapter 2. This is the problem. The problem is not just our sin, a few of them listed there, but the problem is this. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. That's a big problem. We've got a problem with our own sin, but the problem with our sin is that we rightly fall under the judgment of God because of our sin. That's a problem. By God's grace, there's also a solution, and that solution is in the important message that the Jesus was trying to share with the disciples here. The solution to our sin problem and our being under the wrath of God problem, the solution to that problem is found in Jesus and in his death and in his resurrection. That's why this message that Jesus was trying to share with the disciples is so important. That's what I don't want you to miss. Look at, look at Romans chapter 4, verse 25, as long as you're in Romans. Look at Romans 4, 25. Listen. who was, speaking of Jesus, delivered up, same words used in Mark, delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He was delivered up. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to die. Why? Well, according to Romans, the reason that he had to die and be delivered up was for our trespasses. Because of our sin, because of our loose tongues because of our prideful hearts, because of our immaturity, because of all that, Jesus had to die. He was delivered for our trespasses and raised. Jesus told his disciples, I'll be raised from the dead after three days. Why was he raised? Romans 4.25 says he's raised for our justification. That if we who are guilty want to be made righteous, We don't work our way into righteousness. That he had to be raised from the dead so that we could be counted righteous before God. That's why the message that Jesus was trying to communicate to the disciples of his death and resurrection are so important. Because without his death and without his resurrection, our sin, we're still in our sin. And without his death and resurrection, we are guilty before God of our sin. Listen, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you are, you're, you're trying hard maybe and you showed up at church because you, you think that's a good thing to do, you need to know that you stand before God because of your sin, guilty. And because of your guilt, you are under God's wrath, under his just judgment for your sin. And you're not going to work hard enough to get yourself out of that. Your only hope is in what Jesus has already done in his death and in his resurrection. So how do you receive that? Look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, And are justified. Okay, that's what we want again. We want to be justified. We want to be made righteous. How do we get that? It's by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It comes because of what Jesus has done, whom God put forward as a propitiation 
That's a word that means a wrath absorber. Because of what Jesus did to absorb God's wrath for us, just like we sang about in that song, because of that, by His blood, and how do we get that? How do we receive righteousness instead of punishment? How do we receive reward instead of punishment? It says to be received by faith. So listen, Christian, non-Christian, we're all in the same boat. We're all alike under sin. And all of us have this need to recognize that, you know what? You're not the greatest. You know what? We're not the best. You know what? There's a lot more pride and immaturity in our hearts than we'd like to admit. There's things that we might even be too embarrassed or prideful to take to Jesus. We need to know the good news of the gospel, that we can come before him, acknowledging that sin, saying, Jesus, in all my dirtiness, not because I've tried to clean myself up, but Jesus, would you, in all my dirtiness, would you take that on yourself? I believe that your death on the cross was in my place, was for my sin, and I will be raised up and made new again because Jesus was raised up from the dead. Because of his resurrection, I have hope that I can be made right before God because of what he's done, not because of what I do. Listen, the truth about you, the truth about me, the truth about your pastor is that a lot of times his ugly pride still rears its ugly head. That a lot of times I, it is revealed to me how immature I still am, how much growing I still need to do. We're all, in many ways, prideful and immature disciples. That makes me so grateful for the hope that I have. Not that I'm going to somehow become more humble. I hope that I do, and I'm, and I'm striving for that. But that's not where my hope ultimately lies. My hope ultimately lies in what Jesus has already done, in his death, in his resurrection. And I don't want that to be overshadowed in my life, for the life of this church because of my own pride and my own immaturity. We need to be honest with each other about our sin. We need to be honest with God about our sin so that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't get overshadowed. It's the good news. I need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. And there's a whole lost world out there that needs to hear it again. And so let's not pretend we're not prideful and immature. Let's admit that we are and just rejoice in the fact that in our pride and in our immaturity, our only hope is that Jesus has come. He has died and he has risen again. And he is willing and ready to give as a free gift to you by his grace, salvation through your faith in him.